let me quickly tell you guys where you can find me, besides Boston, Massachusetts. First, here on the podcast. Episodes will continue two to three times per week, so make sure you are subscribed so you can hear the in-depth conversations I have about sports that shape my betting views. Second, I just created a Twitter handle for the podcast. The handle is AdvantagePod underscore SE. The SE stands for Sports Ethos. Every now and then on Twitter, I will post some of the bets that I'm playing so you could tail along if you'd like. I also throw out some other random bite-sized Twitter thoughts. I'm a selective and thoughtful tweeter, not an over-tweeter. Is that what it would be called? A tweeter on Twitter? Lastly, the breadwinner. You can get access to all my official bets by subscribing to the Sports Ethos Wager Pass. You get a daily article and access to a website with my official picks, along with all the other bettors from the Sports Ethos team. WagerPass also gives you access to the Sports Ethos Discord, which is an awesome place. It's the first and only Discord I've ever been a part of, but I'm a huge fan. I write up quick explanations of why I'm taking the picks. I explain things like line movement and identify where the sharps are in real time. As of this recording, I'm 9-4 with my official WagerPass plays, plus 4.8 units. So again, podcast, subscribe. Twitter, follow AdvantagePod underscore SE. And WagerPass via the Sports Ethos website for access to my picks. Okay, got it? I hope you can find me. Let's get back to the pod. On today's episode, we're talking Memphis Grizzlies with David Williams, host of the Sports Ethos Grizzlies podcast. We talked about that dude, Ja Morant the Grizzlies' playoffs hopes, his expectations, and what the future of the Grizz franchise may look like. We also wrapped up, like the Lakers season just did, about what happened in LA, and I give my crazy prediction of what may happen to the king we are witness to, LeBron James. Not much betting talk in this discussion, because it's the final three games of the season, aka NBA silly season, and we don't know the playoff matchups yet either. So, a pure hoops discussion, the conversations I love the most. Enjoy. All right, welcome back. We are now joined by David Williams, coming to us from just north of Memphis, the host of the Sports Ethos Grizzlies podcast, and a longtime grit and grind fanatic. David, thanks for joining us today. Let's jump right in and talk some Grizzlies basketball. What were your expectations coming into the season? And did you envision hosting a first and potentially second round playoff series? No, I, I honestly didn't. Uh, we actually do season predictions in the offseason. We'll go through. Um, I've added a second co-host, but uh, Isaac has been my co-host with the show for a while. And last season, uh, last offseason, we do draft coverage. And we always look at, okay, what do we think the team is going to do? Are they going to make any moves? So on and so on. Um, and I predicted about a 500 record. I was hoping for them to be outside of the play-in, um, you know, like inside the top six. So definitely was not expecting a 50-win season. It's a, it's a pleasant surprise. I'm completely okay with being wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's, it seems like like a year or two early, but sometimes when you have a superstar like John Morant, those things can just happen, and you're like, all right, now I'm, now I'm here for it. Has he totally captivated the city? Are the fans just obsessed with Ja? Absolutely. Um, it's 
it's crazy because Memphis is, and I know a lot of cities will say this, but Memphis is just different. Like it's the city is very much, if you love the city, the city's going to love you back. And I don't think that you could have went to a lab and selected a perfect, like you couldn't have built a superstar any better than John ja Moran. He's the perfect superstar for Memphis because he embraces the city. He has, you know, he grew up as an underdog. He didn't get recruited really, wasn't ranked coming out of high school. And so he's had to work to get to where he's at. And that's really the mentality of the city. And so the, the fans just love him, man. And it's easy to love a guy when you get to watch a highlight reel every single night that he's on the every floor. Night. It's crazy. Yeah, it, I was talking to, um, I think it was at the Brooklyn game. I was talking to one of the Brooklyn beat writers, the Brooklyn Net speech beat writers, and I apologize. I don't remember what his name was. But I'm like, you know, we, we watch this kid night in and night out, and you expect him to make at least one play that's going to bring you out of your seat. Mm-hmm. And that's not normal. You watch other basketball games, you you know, whether it's college, WNBA, whatever it is, there's not always a highlight reel play in every single game, but it seems like when he's on the floor, he has the ability to do that at any given time, and it happens pretty much on a night-in, night-out basis. Yeah, you say when he's on the floor, it's, in all honesty, it's when he's walking, not on the floor, but in the air, taking steps <laughs> yeah. through the air, somehow staying airborne, and then throwing down something ferocious. He's got a, a an insane ability to just... I don't know, man. It, it looks weird sometimes because you think that he's going to come down, but he'll elevate and then he can read while he's in the air and he just stays up there longer than a defender and he'll either lay it in or make the pass that he needs to to, to make in order for it to be an insane play. And can't say that I mean, we've never seen anything like this in Memphis, that there have been other guys that have had, you know, the crazy athleticism throughout the history of the league but it's fun to have somebody like that here in Memphis. Yeah, I think most people are making like a young Derrick Rose comparison recently, but I don't totally, I mean, I see it with the just the dunking ability and the jumping ability, but Jaws more cerebral on the court than most young superstars and like his basketball IQ, he seems to be like almost a LeBron level savant in the way he can see and read the game too. Let's jump to the stuff on the court with him. How confident are you in Ja just, like, returning for the playoffs? He's been out for, what, the last 10, 12 games of the season. you expecting yeah. any bumps in the road to reintegrate him? Do you think he slides in seamlessly? Is this team going to be roaring right at the start of the playoffs, or are we a little bit worried about sliding Ja back in? No, nah, I, I don't have any concerns. I'm, I'm fully convinced that he's going to be back by the time we hit the playoffs. Um, we got the news on March 24th, the the pregame before the matchup against the Pacers. And Coach Jenkins told us he's going to be reevaluated in two weeks. And then we got an update the other day that he's going to be reevaluated Thursday, which is tomorrow. Um, he's been putting up shots in pregame, see him out there putting in work. You know, you see him jumping up and down, bouncing around on the bench. The Grizzlies have been – sometimes overly cautious whenever it comes to injuries. You look back at, you know, bringing Jaron Jackson back from his knee injury preseason last year, you thought that you would see Jaron by December, and then, you know, you, you watch it, and, and here he is. I think it was like 
man, I want to say late February when Jaron came back. And so they, they've always been really cautious. Dylan Brooks is another great example with that, that ankle injury. Patient all yeah. year with him. Yeah. So he, he was, uh, he was expected to be out. I think they said four to six weeks and it ended up being like eight weeks for him. So no concern. I, I think they'll be fine. And the thing is the core of this team minus Steven Adams have played a ton of games together. So I'm not worried about chemistry. I'm not worried. I, you know, you may have some timing, you know, hiccups here and there, but I think because of what you referred to earlier, Jaws, you know, his basketball IQ, his ability to read the floor. I think that that is going to kind of overcome some of the things that you would expect to see from a team bringing a superstar back. Who's the second best player on this team? Like who's their most important role player is it Bain in the way he spaces the floor? Is it Jaron Jackson Jr. for his defense? Is it Steven Adams for his veteran leadership? Like, who's the second most important piece to this team this season? Uh, that's easily Jaron Jackson. You can, um, Bree say, I haven't done it in a while. It's been a couple of weeks. But the last time I looked at it, his on-off numbers, th- there's a massive difference. The defense was like seven points worse when he was not on the floor. Um, he He just... He plays a great center field, like just to to be blunt about it. A lot of guys take risk on the perimeter because they know they have him behind him. He's an excellent help defender. He's got an insane ability. The one thing that he had issues with and, you know, had a history of foul issues. And that's something that he hadn't really had the majority of the year that he's been able to turn a corner and get around that. We saw that flare up here recently again, but I, I think that he can he can get back to that as they get closer to the playoffs. And you look at uh, they played Utah last night, and he done a great job staying out of foul trouble. They went into overtime. He ended the game with four fouls. Still quite a few, but it wasn't enough, and he didn't get them early enough that it was taking him off the floor. You can really see – the hurt on this defense whenever he's not in there because he's he's a a great rim protector. And like I say, he just kind of – he plays center field back there when they breach the perimeter, when somebody – the opposite team gets uh, dribble penetration, he's great at causing them to change that shot. Yeah, and I think we're definitely going to see Triple J on one of the all-defensive teams this year. He'll probably be first or second team forward. He's been incredible. I definitely agree. He seems to be that perfect piece next to Ja as like floor spacer on offense and on defense mm-hmm. can play perimeter defense while also still being an elite rim protector. So as long as he's not fouling, which he's been doing a better job of as of late. Um, is there a moment in you watching Jaron Jackson Jr. where you were like, wow, okay, this is a guy. Like I know now that he's one of the guys that we need on this team long term. Uh, man, for me, it happened in the bubble. And I know that that's going, you know, we've kind of been through some rocky stuff as fans watching him play with the foul issues. But they were they were matched up against the Spurs, and it was the only game that they won in the bubble. He hit a huge three late in the game, and it was it was a high leverage moment. And there was there was no hesitation. There was, you know, nothing from him. He knocks it down. And I'm like, okay, he, he has – some people can handle the pressure, some people cannot. And the the moment in the game, it didn't bother him. He, he was able to handle it. I love his, his attitude. He, he's great with the fans. You can see him. He's very um, emotional on the floor. Like you can tell, he, he's invested in the game. But, you know, it's 
something that happened specifically this year. Uh, he, man, I forget, I forget which game it was, but there was one game in particular. If you go back to um, the finals last year, the block that Giannis had on, um, I, I think it was eight, and it was like game four, game five, where it looked like he was beat, and he was able to get back and block re- that shot. With the recovery defense, he yeah. slid back over, and he got up. He got it at like its peak, too. Yeah, and so it was just insane. And, the, you know, to me, that's one of the best blocks in history because of the timing of it. Mm-hmm. Jaron had a play that was very similar to that, where it looked like he was beat, and he was able to recover and still block the shot. And we, we talked about that on the show. I hate that I, I should have written down what game that was, but I, I don't remember. I'd have to go back and, and watch film and search. But it, it was like at that moment, I'm like, okay, he, he has turned it up. He is on another level this year. And th- this team, Coach Jenkins and, and the coaching staff, they've done a fantastic job developing guys. And it's not just, you know, a guy like Ja Morant, I think regardless of where he got drafted to, that he was going to be elite talent. But you know, I'm talking about like DeAnthony Melton, Zaire Williams, um, Dylan Brooks is a guy that they've done a lot of great stuff with. And you can Even go Even Pius down. is about to get a big contract. Yeah, and he deserves it, man. He he takes care of the wall. I, would, I think if you put Tyus Jones with the New York Knicks, that that would be – huge for them. I think that you see the Knicks make a huge jump because they just don't have anybody that can really be a true point guard out there. They have guys that can score. They got plenty of people around him that could do the things that Tyus needs them to do. And, you know, like him throwing lobs to Mitrov would be nuts. But, mm-hmm. yeah. He's I, like a I, perfect uh, low turnover facilitator for the Knicks. Yeah, yeah. He's not, he's not going to – the other team is going to have to beat you. He's not going to beat – you know, he's not going to blow your team up. He's not going to make mistakes and, and cause you to lose the game. So right now we got the Memphis. They're locked into the two seed, right? Playing games coming up. That game is also locked in as Timberwolves versus Clippers. So you'll be getting the winner of that game in your first round series. Which team do you want? Which team are you more scared of? Talk to me about how you're hoping this shakes out. I don't really have a preference, to be honest. I, I think the Grizzlies have a good shot against either one of those teams. Uh, there's obviously some things. I think Norm Powell is supposed to come back in tonight's matchup. Uh, or is that tomorrow? I, I know that there's been an announcement that he's going to be coming back soon. So the Clippers are getting healthy. There's some Kawhi whispers, too. Yeah. You know, a, a healthy Clippers team, I think, is more dangerous than the Timberwolves. But if I had to choose right now between the two, I would I would have to say the Clippers – just because of Pat Beverly and the way that he plays, I just don't trust him not to do something crazy. And that's that's just what he you know you go back to when when he shoved Chris Paul in the back and and he is a, a physical player. I just I don't care for him. I don't I don't like the way that he plays the game. And he's done some things in the past that have been dirty. And you worry about that when you're heading into, especially into what could potentially be a seven-game series because the Timberwolves are a tough team. They've, they've got, you know, D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and they have guys that are really, really good basketball players that are high IQ guys. And then, you know, they have been a tough matchup for the Grizzlies this year. The Grizzlies have not been healthy when they face them. So, again, I don't think necessarily that the Grizzlies would lose to the Timberwolves in a series. But if I could go through the playoffs without 
John Moran having a matchup against Patrick Beverly because of the unknown, then I'm on board with that. It's funny you say that and you bring in Pat Bev. Uh, I think it was two episodes ago on this show, I had one of my buddies on to discuss the most important role players that we were going to see in the Western Conference playoffs. And Pat Bev was front and center on that list simply because he might have a chance to line up with Ja. And he's kind of that pesky defender who can really get under your skin. Uh, Memphis is a young team that could maybe be bothered by something like that. You're one of the few people in the world that I would that's out here saying, bring on the Clippers. But yeah. let's play this out. Let's say you do get the Clippers. You say, let's say you do get the team that you want to face. What's the expectation for the playoffs? So we discussed your expectations for the beginning of the season. What is it now once you've already seen this team perform how they have thus far? Like, what are you hoping for this year in the playoffs? What would be expected? What would be disappointing? And what would be considered overachieving? Um... I don't know, like, what what I hope for. I'll start with that. I, I hope for a championship. This team has been fantastic this year, with, even without John Moran, and that's something, you know, you, you get MVP conversations, and some people want to discount John Morant's MVP case because of what the team has done without him. And he's missed too many games now, so he's not going to get, like, true consideration. But I'm not a fan of like docking a guy because his team is good around him. You know, you, you gave Giannis back-to-back MVPs. Are you telling me Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday are not all-star level players? Like, you don't think about that. The, the team played fantastic without him, and so th- that's something that's kind of bothered me. But, you know, that, that would be my hope. I, I would love to see a championship. The Grizzlies have obviously never won, and so to to see that happen, to be able to go down there and, and be on Bill Street when they're having that parade – would be unbelievable. Uh, so I guess that could be my hope, and that would be overachieving. Um, but I, I can't say that I'd be disappointed. Whatever happens from here moving forward, this team has easily been the best team that the Grizzlies have ever put on the floor in the history of their franchise. So I, I can't say that you know if they get into a tough first-round matchup and they end up falling short, it's experience and experience is what makes you grow. They're the second youngest team in the league. And so to me to have expectations to say, well, if they don't make it to the Western conference finals, it's a bust. Or if they don't make it out of the first round, it's a bust. I'm not going to say that because as the second youngest team earning the two seed in the Western conference is already overachieving. Um, I, I'm not scared of the first round. Like I, I told you, I believe that they can beat either one of those teams in, in a first-round matchup. Uh, second round gets a little bit tougher. It, it depends on, on how that's going to work out. And I was going to have the standings up before we got started so I could look at who their potential second round would be. Um, I'll do that right now. I apologize. It I'm looks like it might be Dallas or it could be Golden State. I mean, it seems like they're going to avoid the Phoenix side of the bracket, right? Because they will be the two seed. So, Right. The the 3-4 is, I think it's Dallas right now and Golden State at the 4. That I don't think is locked in yet with just three games left in the season, so it could flip. But it's probably going to be Dallas playing against, I think, Denver in the 6. So you would get the winner of that series. Yeah, so I, I think between the, you know Dallas and Golden State, we actually had this conversation on our show the other day. And I, I would much rather face Dallas just because if you're comparing the two, the Grizzlies match up well against Golden State. You know, during the regular season, you saw the Grizzlies beat them. They beat them to get into the playoffs last year in the play-in game. 
But Golden State has been there. Golden State's core, uh, you know, Steph, Draymond, Clay, Steve Kerr, that coaching staff, they know what it takes to win in the playoffs. And I feel like they're a bigger threat. If you're comparing Dallas and Golden State, you set Steph Curry and Luka aside, the four best players following Steph and Luka are all going to be on the Golden State Warriors roster. I, I think you would you'd be hard pressed to argue. You know who who would you say is the second best player for our for the Mavericks right now? Yeah, maybe Jalen Brunson. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. So Jalen Brunson or Spencer Dinwiddie, I think it would be the the two that you would discuss. And are any of those guys better than Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, uh, Jordan Poole, or um, Andrew Wiggins? And I think the answer to that question is no. So just depth-wise, I think Golden State is a tougher playoff matchup. I know what Luka is, but Dallas has never gotten over that hump. They've always hit a wall in the playoffs. This year may be different for them, but you know, I guess we'll see. You, you don't really get a choice in who you're facing but, you know, it, between those two, I would much rather see Dallas in the second round. And it, it's going to be a tough series either way, whether if you match up against Dallas, you match up against Golden State, that's something that's going to be a six or seven game series and can go either way. Well, uh, I don't think Dallas has gotten over that hump yet because they've been running into that wall of the Kawhi and Paul George Clippers the last two years who you might be taken on in the first round. But are, at the end of the day, David, are you expecting to see a second round game like sitting here right now you're like i'm gonna see memphis in the second round or is it like i don't think so yeah i'm confident that they're going to be in the second round for a couple reasons if they do end up facing the clippers and Kawhi comes back he's not going to be game ready there's there is absolutely zero chance that he is going to come back he may be a fraction of what he actually is but he's not going to be a hundred percent he hasn't he hasn't played in any games he hadn't played well, it's like a year and a half now since he's actually played basketball. So there's a difference between being in shape and being in game shape. And so that's why I, I'm just not afraid of that Clippers team. The Grizzlies give them problems. Jaron Jackson is an issue. And the Clippers don't have a big that's physical enough to really drive him out of the game. Jaron Jackson, you know, when they matched up against um, the, the Clippers early in the season, he gives Zubak trouble. Uh, Isaiah Hartenstein is a guy that's been seeing more minutes lately, and I think that's actually a better matchup for the Clippers whenever it comes to Jaron because Hartenstein can move his feet a little bit better. But, no, I'm, I'm not afraid of that team. They don't have a true point guard. And in the playoffs, when you have to take care of the ball, not having a true point guard matters. And I think that's why the Clippers have not been able to get over the hump, even when they were healthy, is because they didn't have a playmaker. They have... Paul George, they have Kawhi Leonard, which both of those guys are phenomenal. They can go out, they can get their own shot, but they were just short that that true point guard, and I think that's still going to be an issue. But you know, the growth that we've seen from this team this year, I think, is enough to give me confidence that you're going to see the Grizzlies in the second round. Phoenix Suns are clearly the lead dog in the West right now. They might end the season with 65 wins. Monty Williams is likely going to finish one spot ahead of. Coach Taylor Jenkins in the Coach of the Year voting. Give me the case for why the Memphis Grizzlies are the biggest threat to the Phoenix Suns in the Western Conference playoffs. They just beat them with their bench last week. They they a healthy Suns team just lost to the Grizzlies bench. The only starter that played in that game was Dylan Brooks. Yes, I'm I'm aware that the playoffs are a different beast. 
And that that's it's going to be a tough matchup. That one can go either way. Um, you know, obviously being a Grizzlies guy, I'm going to be a little bit partial to Taylor Jenkins. The Suns were in the finals last year. You expect them to be one of the best teams in the league. Nobody, even the most optimistic Grizzlies fan, expected the Grizzlies to be the two seed in the West. And then missing John ja Morant for 20-plus games of the season, and you go 20-2, and two, uh, or what? well, they just lost, so 20-3 and three right now is what the record is without their superstar player. I think that With gives, a margin of victory of like 17 points, too. Yeah. I think that has to give Taylor Jenkins a lot of boost whenever it comes to Coach of the Year. I'm not going to be disappointed if Monty wins it. He's done a fantastic job with Phoenix. I don't want to take anything away from him at all. Um, what's a Boston's coach? I always forget his. Is it uh, Ime Adoka? Yeah, I think those three guys, Boston, uh, Memphis, and Phoenix, those are the only three coaches that I think should be in the discussion. They've done a great job. Boston's defense has been the best in the league since uh, All-Star break. They've got the number one net rating in the league. So I think between uh, Ime Udoka, Jenkins, and Monty Williams, that should be your uh, a three-man race for Coach of the Year. But, you know, it's it's a lot about matchups in the playoffs, and I don't know that anybody – is really a tougher matchup for the Phoenix Suns than the Memphis Grizzlies. You could talk about Utah and what they could possibly bring, but they they've been very bad lately. You know, the, the Grizzlies lost to them last night in overtime, but there's been a lot of things happening on the court where you see that there are at least there appears to be chemistry issues with that team. So I think that Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, I think that matchup could be tough on Phoenix, but I think if any team is going to beat them in the West, I think it's going to be the Grizzlies, which you know would mean that we're going to the Western Conference Finals, and I'm here for it, man. That would be the third round and surpassing those expectations that I made you throw out there for us. Uh, well, the team's lack of playoff experience, I think they've only played one playoff series as a group the first round last year. I think... Uh, Steven Adams has definitely has some playoff experience under his belt, probably Kyle Anderson too, but I'm not sure besides them because this team is so young. They've been so tough all year. They've been saying, we want the smoke, bring it on. Are they to be worried about that, that lack of experience or is their toughness as a unit going to supersede their kind of newness in this space? One thing that they struggled with last year was closing games. That's really, in the playoff series against the Jazz, that's where the difference was made. The Grizzlies played the Jazz tough. You go back and you look at that series, and the Jazz ended up winning a few of those games by double digits, but the Grizzlies were in those games until late. And this year they've been able to close games, whether it's you know Ja Morant getting downhill and doing what he needs to do, or them moving the ball and taking great shots instead of good shots. That's something, that's the growth that you have seen in this year. So I, I believe that it, you know, youth is going to play a factor, I think, but I don't think that this roster is going to be bothered that much by it because they play with a fearless mentality. You know, that they, you, you go back to early in the season whenever they were facing the Lakers and Desmond Bain was talking trash to LeBron and it, it doesn't matter what the name is on the front or the back of the jersey. They're going to go out there and they're going to play ball. And elite talent finds a way to make things happen, and Ja Morant is that. 
when you have Bane's biceps, you can say what you want <laughs> when you yeah. want. For sure. <laughs> he, he's much bigger in person than what you see in those pictures. It, yeah, man. his it's, traps are enormous. Yeah, it's it's nuts. I he doesn't I look like a basketball to be big. player. No, he, he, looks, he looks like a fullback or something, man. Yeah, Linebacker. normally when guys are that big, it's just like they can't move as well. I've I've heard some theories floated out that even Anthony Davis got too big. He probably put on like 20 pounds of muscle, which didn't help him because he's more of a fluid mover. And now he's just not moving well and he's causing more injuries because he's putting more impact on his joints and stuff. But yeah, like Bane is so fluid for a guy who is so stocky. It's just that it's yeah. like almost like it's like a lesser version of watching Zion where you're just like the body versus the game doesn't add up for me. Yeah, it's 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 nuts, man. He he's had a heck of a season. I, I gotta say, I expected him to to take a leap this year, but I had no idea it would be anything like what it has been. Yeah, I mean, he's on that list for most improved. If it wasn't Ja making that leap to being an every night superstar, I think we'd be talking about Desmond Bain in the most improved race as a serious threat this season. Let's project forward to future seasons, David. The Grizzlies control their picks. They have a dearth of role players like we've talked about that are valuable assets. Do you want them to go all in and trade two players and say two picks for a stud next to Jaw? Who's untouchable on the team? And what type of star players are you looking to pair next to Morant? Um, so I'll lead off with untouchables, and that list is extremely short. It's got three names on it, Jaron Jackson, Ja Morant, Desmond Bain. Outside of that, there's nobody else on this roster that's untouchable. Steven Adams has been a fantastic fit, um, but he, he, you know, even the impact that he has made this season, I don't know that they're going to move him because of his contract and because of that fit. I'd even argue that Bain's not untouchable. I think he's an elite 3 and D player, but at the yeah. end of the day, I don't think he's untouchable. Man, I and you may. Aaron Jackson, right, I like, agree. I wouldn't be trading Triple J. I think he's that perfect defender next to Jaw. He creates the perfect system. But at the end of the day, you can find another Desmond Bain or some a lesser Desmond Bain with the right other pieces. Like if you flip Desmond Bain into a, like a Danny Green from a few years ago, would it be that much worse? But okay, yeah, but I mean, don't it, worry about it. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I mean that that it's a great point, but. A great three and D guy, he he does do that, but he's also really good at creating. You know, he he's been thrust more into a like ball handler this year, and he's done a great job creating shots for others. And so he he's more than just that three and D guy. And you know, I I get what you're saying with the Danny Green thing, but I I think that Desmond Bain is definitely, you know, a, a notch above that. And it depends on who the player is. You know, if you're talking a Jalen Brown, then is Desmond Bain. If if they if the Celtics call and they're like, hey, you know, let let's make a deal. We're looking at Desmond Bain and DeAnthony Melton, or Desmond Bain, Brandon Clark, and some picks in order to move Jalen Brown. Are you making that move? And I think the answer to that question has to be yes. But there's less than a handful of guys that would be actually available that I would put Desmond Bain in a trade for. Um, I'm I'm a fan because it's a small market team. You have to be very careful with what you're doing when you're building this team. You have to be very selective. You have to make the right moves. If you go back to what Denver done with with Gary Harris, they liked what he was doing. They liked what he was bringing to the floor. They thought he was going to be the piece that they needed to push them over the top. So they signed him to that big deal. 
and it handcuffed them. They couldn't move him. They finally got a deal done with the magic and, you know, to get Aaron Gordon up there. But the Grizzlies being the smallest market in the league, they have to handle this the right way. Look at, here's another great example. Look what Atlanta has done rushing their rebuild. They go out and they get some elite role players and uh, Bogey and uh, Danilo Gallinari. Clint Capella was a great find for them. But, they locked in John Collins for like five years at $125 million. Yeah, so it, then you look at, they, they gave away Cam Reddish for nothing. So why why rush it? How do we know that Cam Reddish is not going to develop into a better version of Bogdan Bogdanovich? We don't know that for sure. Maybe the Hawks saw enough that they didn't think that that was the case, but Cam Reddish is, what, 22, 23 years old? He's still got plenty of time to develop. And I, they gave him away for pennies on the dollar. Kevin Knox and what, like a mid first round pick or something like that. It was, it was not. I think that they could have definitely gotten better return out of that. So, you've watched a lot of teams do rebuilds the wrong way, and the Grizzlies have done a fantastic job. And that's you know, it, it's great as a fan of the team, not just somebody covering, but as a fan of the team to sit back and watch Zach Kleiman work and how he has been able to draft and the moves that he's made in order to build assets for this team as compared to what it was before climbing when you have no assets because you're going out and you're giving all the assets up to try and put pieces around a team to get them to that next level. The grit and grind Grizzlies didn't get there, but the grit and grind Grizzlies did not have Ja Morant. There was nobody on that roster that was at the level that Ja Morant is right now. So, I'm definitely not against them going out and making a move to get another star to put next to John Morant, but I would much rather them be selective than just, oh, you know, hey, Bradley Bill's available. All right, let's give up all of this to go and get Bradley Bill. Let's put you in Zach Hyman's GM seat, David. I put together a few list of names um, that, again, let's imagine this is two first-round picks, Desmond Bain and one of their other role players, it could be Melton, it could be Tyus Jones, it could be anyone like Dylan Brooks, Slomo. Just two two picks, Bane and another one of the role players. You let me know. You seem to be on the let's take the patient approach and see what happens with these guys who love each other and love the city. Let's not rush anything. But let me throw out a few names there and see what would potentially interest you. Rudy Gobert. Man, that, that's Bain, extremely... Desmond Bain, Stephen Adams, and two firsts for Rudy Gobert. So I'm going to tell you, a lot of Grizzlies fans are going to say no to that. But I have always been on the side that Jaron Jackson is not a true five. I think he's a four. And if you get a guy... Rudy and I Gobert, agree with you. They, yeah, shouldn't like, keep, they should keep Triple J in the four so that he could keep sliding around, and therefore you have two rim protectors on yeah. the court at all time, helping for Jaws defensive deficiencies. That one's that one's answer. That that's man. I don't know. I, I'd really have to think. I hate that I'm not giving you an answer to that. But that would be the defense would be ridiculous, man. Gobert and his ability to protect the paint, and then Jaron on the help side. That that would be nuts. Um, so so Bane, another role player, and two first for Rudy Gobert. I think that the answer to that question would be yes. Let's keep going. Pascal Siakam. Absolutely not. Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. 
Man, the jazz guys are killing me. Um, well, they're certainly, pro- <laughs> they're certainly, probably up for grabs this offseason. Oh yeah, I mean the the chemistry stuff. I I don't know which one of those guys they move. It's gonna be this offseason is gonna be weird for sure. The Grizzlies are in a great spot with the assets that they have to make a move like that. You taking um, Donovan? I mean, I, I can't say no to that. You, the, he he's an elite player and. Man, a backcourt of John Moran for four more years. John Moran and Donovan Mitchell together, and that's listen. Some people are going to say, "Oh, well, Donovan Mitchell, John Moran is an undersized backcourt." Donovan Mitchell's wingspan is six ten. I didn't think that was accurate. I went back to look up the combine measurements because somebody said that to me the other day, and I'm like, "There's no way he's like six one. There's no way he's got a six ten wingspan." He has a 6'10 wingspan, so the undersized backcourt conversation there is invalid to me. You you find a way to make that work. I think that they would be just fine. Okay, you already said no to Bradley Beal, right? Yeah, yeah, pass on Beal. Damian Lillard? No. And that's uh, just... Listen, man, I, I love Dame, but he just doesn't fit the time window to me. I think if you're going to make a move and you're going to give up that kind of assets, we don't know what Desmond Bain's ceiling is right now. The growth of him from year one to year two, um, I, I'm not giving him up for a guy that is that age. I got three more for you. Okay. Let's start with uh, the least interesting one, and then it'll grow from there. Okay. Maybe we'll reduce this to one future pick, but it might cost you a, a first, a second. Bane, Miles Turner. I'm not giving up Bane for Miles Turner. I do like Miles Turner. I, I like him a lot. And I think, you know, we talked about defense with Gobert and, and Jaron Jackson. Um, that would be, they would block everything between uh, Turner and Jaron Jackson. But no, I'm not giving up Bane to get Miles Turner. Okay, two more. Say this guy in Oklahoma City, and they're like, they're going to throw it in for another year, and Shea is like, I don't want to stick around for another losing season. Send me somewhere. SGA for two firsts and Bane. No, I don't think I'm doing that. I, I'm, Yeah, I, I don't think – I don't have enough confidence in SGA. I know what he's been able to do in OKC, and he looked good – on that, uh, you know, kind of underdog Clippers team before he got traded down there. But, no, I don't have enough confidence in him to – right now, if we're having the conversation, I don't know that you can convince me that SGA is that much better than Desmond Bain. Not too first, anyway, you know. Ready for the last one? Yeah. Zion Williamson. Ugh. Man, my co-host Isaac and I have had this conversation, and there are two that there, there are a lot of moving parts whenever it comes to Zion. If you listen to NBA Twitter, Zion is walking around looking like fat bastard from the Austin Powers movies, and he's just not. He, <laughs> like you know, NBA Twitter's like this dude's four hundred pounds or whatever. And he's not. You see the videos that that's not what he is. And maybe he's not in the best shape because of that foot injury. But I, I just don't buy that he's not in in good shape. And you know, he, we saw the video recently of him doing the between the legs dunk. He was explosive. He was an all star his first year. Um, the upside 
th- that would be an upside swing. And so were Desmond Bain and two first for Zion. Man, I'm glad I don't have <laughs> to make these decisions because I, I I don't I don't know about that one, man. There would be. Without knowing any more than what I know right now, the answer to that question is no. If I was able to, you know, and the team would be able to do this, they would be able to get his medical records and look at recent scans and stuff like that to see what kind of shape that foot is in. There's been whispers that maybe he plays before the end of the season. There's only a few games left, so I don't know how much weight there is to that. But we we saw what type of player he can be when he's out there and he's healthy. And his rookie season, um, you know, even he did he didn't miss quite a few games. Then there's a lot of risk there. Um, I would just have to see medicals to say yes to that, but I wouldn't be completely out on him. I would have to ask a lot of questions first. I think I'm with you on Gobert. I am 100 percent in on Zion. I think I'd be 90 percent in on SGA, and I think that's where I draw the line. I think we differ on Donovan Mitchell, where I'd say no. And I think we differ on SGA where I'd say yes, because I Man. think the playmaking and defense of SGA is both superior to that of Donovan. And if you're going to pair someone okay. next to jaw, those are going to be two very important qualities. Um, they're both reliable shooters in terms of SGA and Donovan. So I'm not as worried about the shooting component, but Donovan has not shown himself to be a great playmaker like SGA has. And on the defensive end as well, I think SGA's wingspan is probably 6'10 as well. Same as Donovan's. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm. I'm glad you elaborated because I was definitely going to ask. I'm like, okay, what what do you like about SGA over? And, and that's, I mean, great points. And, and everybody, that's the beauty of this. Everybody kind of evaluates players differently. And, and I think the the playoff experience from Mitchell and what we were able to see him do in the playoffs um, are things that that weigh for me. Um, it, it's it's tough. I. I think a lot of Grizzlies fans would probably be cussing me right now because I said no to SGA because I know there are a lot of Grizzlies fans that like him, but I, I just I don't know I'm not I'm not bought in on him like some others are. Well, I think the SGA name will come back around in a unique way on towards the end of this podcast if I can make a prediction. Lastly, on the Grizz, I think the situation like we've been talking about kind of just reminds me of the Jazz, who we've also talked about. They pushed in the chips when they realized that they had something in Donovan Mitchell when he was 22. I think Jaw's 22 right now, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so the, the Utah Jazz pushed in the chips, traded for the Grizzlies' Mike Conley, paid him, brought in Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, paid Gobert, even though he was like 27 or 28 at the time. So now it's like the Grizzlies are in a very similar spot. In hindsight, it hasn't worked out for the Jazz, but I'm not too sure it was the wrong choice by the Jazz at the time. I think when they made the moves, they became an elite uh, regular season team. They flamed out a few times in the playoffs. Uh, It seems like they've been missing one or two pieces or even the right mindset of some of their players to get there. But I think it was the right move given the fact that they were in a small market and had these guys. The one key difference that I see in between those two places is that I don't think Utah and Donovan Mitchell were long from each other were long for each other from the start whereas I see Memphis and Ja have both embraced each other like we've talked about earlier in this pod and I think Ja is in no rush to leave as if Donovan might see the bright lights of New York and say get me there as fast as I can 
you don't necessarily need to rush to prove anything to John Morant like you might have to Donovan to convince him to stay long term. So that might be the difference, but it's a it's a very similar situation, you know, being such a good regular conference team and having the chips to maybe go in around a 22-year-old. Yeah, I think another difference that I would point out is just the the age of the team. You know, it's you have a lot of young pieces around him and one guy that we haven't really discussed a whole lot on the podcast is Zaire Williams. The Grizzlies rode with him. He was one of the worst rotation players in the league, period, in the beginning of the season. He had that ankle injury. He went out for some time. He was able to sit on the bench, watch the game, watch film, talk to guys. When he came back from that injury, it was like he was a completely different player. Um, and that's – we don't know where these guys are going to be. And, and I don't know – I'm not convinced that you have to go all in on a big piece to put next to Morant because you may already have it, whether that piece is Desmond Bain or Zaire Williams. Dylan Brooks is a guy that last year in that Jazz playoff series, he was extremely efficient, and that's not something that you see from Dylan Brooks night in and night out. But, you know, he shot over 50%. He was able to get to his spots and knock down his shots. So they have a lot of pieces that are not done growing yet. And I know at some point... You can't just keep waiting, keep waiting, keep waiting because people are going to have to get paid. And so you have to make that decision. For me, I don't know that the Grizzlies have to make that move in this offseason. This may be their best offseason to do it because of the amount of picks that they have right now. Um, without a trade, they're never going to have more assets than what they have right now. So it's going to be be extremely interesting to, to watch and see what they, they do. But I, I'm not on the, the page of they have to push in right now. Um, you have Tyus Jones and Kyle Anderson that are both going to be unrestricted free agents mm-hmm. at the end of the season. So you've got decisions to make there. My guess is Tyus Jones probably goes somewhere else to get a bag, which he right. should. He, he is He's clearly the best backup point guard in the league right now. Wow. Um, and he could go – yeah, I – can you name anybody better? Is there a better backup keep going. point guard? I'm going to think, but keep going. Okay, all right. Um, but I, I think that he could start. We, we talked about the Clippers. I think that Tyus Jones would be – he's not a guy that needs shots. He's a guy that can go out and create. And if you put him with a Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, you put him with that team, I think that he would flourish with that team. We talked about New York earlier with him. They have guys in R.J. Barrett that can play off the ball. Julius Randle, I don't even – I don't think that he's going to be in New York, but they, they've got some pieces there where I think Tyus Jones would be a good fit in New York as well. And that that's just a couple of teams off the top of my head that I think that he could go and be the starting point guard and be extremely effective. Is Tyler Hero considered a point guard? No, I would, I'd say he's more of a two than a, than a point guard. But if you want to consider him a point guard, then yeah, I mean, I'll give I'm you that one. I'm trying to think yeah. who might be better. I, I don't even know what they have him listed. I, I'm not going to argue though. I think Tyus. I think Tyus is going to get paid somewhere. He's kind of similar to like a Jalen Brunson, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a great comp. I like that for right. sure. And I mean, Jalen, Jalen, and Luca both start, so I won't call either of them the backup. Uh, but yeah, Tyus. Tyus might be the best backup. Derek Rose, if he was healthy, I'd I'd throw his name in in the ring. Okay. Um, okay. Before I let you go, let's quickly talk Lakers because they've officially been eliminated from the playoffs. Certainly going to be interesting what Memphis does, so we can end the conversation there. It seems like you're glad you're not in the seat of Zach Kleinman. 
but hopefully we'll have you back on you know later in after their playoff runs and as we get closer to draft time let's go lakers though uh they've officially been eliminated from the playoffs what do you think like ha- like could you have ever seen this happening where lebron wins the scoring title at 37 averaging over 30 points a game but they don't even make the play in tournament like this seems absurd to me i think roster composition in this league is extremely important and when you have two guys that are ball dominant like Westbrook and LeBron, you have to have guys around them that are able to shoot. And the Lakers just didn't have that. They went out and they signed a bunch of, you know, like Malik Monk, I think was probably their best signing in the, in the off season. And, and let's be honest, they were not healthy. The majority of the season, I think Kendrick Nunn, if he's healthy, he makes a huge difference. He can shoot the ball. He's a guy that can play off the ball. He's a pretty good defender he wasn't there all season. I don't know what happened to him. I don't even, do you know what his injury is? I, I'm sorry, but no, <laughs> but I just, yeah. I just know that literally everyone in LA has been saying if none was playing, we'd be good. Yeah. He's an I, LA I legend. Know. He's an LA legend. He's never played a game. <laughs> ne- never, never t- took a shot for the Lakers. I, I do think that he makes a difference. I'm not saying that if none plays that they're, you know, middle of the Western conference, I think they're still a play in team because of the health issues that they've had. I think, unfortunately, Frank Vogel is going to be the scapegoat for this team. But the issue was roster composition. And the person that was in charge, quote-unquote, in charge of putting this roster together was not Frank Vogel. So that's I don't know what that front office is going to do. I don't know what the ownership is going to do. My guess is that you know Vogel gets the boot whenever we get to the offseason and then you'll see some changes in LA. I, I don't know what that's going to be exactly, but you you cannot go back into next season with this same roster composition because you'll end up in the same place that you are right now. I wrote down five names that are currently part of the Lakers organization. Yes or no, are they still there at the be- beginning of next season? LeBron James. Can we save him for the end? Sure. Russell Westbrook. Okay. I think he's still a Laker. Anthony Davis. Yes. Frank Vogel. Nope. Rob Palenka. He should be the one that gets fired, but I think that he's still with the organization. Do you know that you know that Rob Palenka used to be an agent and he was Kobe's agent back in the day? Yeah. Do you know who Rob Palenka's most recent client was before he became the GM of the Lakers? I, I do not. I don't know the answer to that one. Tyus Jones. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, the, honestly, uh, that, Tyus would be cool, a perfect yeah. fit in L.A. Yeah. I I, I, I like Tyus, man. I, I think he's going to do well wherever he goes. Um, LeBron is interesting. Did you see the article that uh, Brian Win, uh, Winhurst wrote about the three-year cycles with LeBron? That he just puts all this pressure on his team and forces them to go all in and therefore – they can't really have more than a four-year window once he shows up there because they mortgage all their future and trade and everything. Yeah, yeah. So that that's I I think that's quite. I think that he likes L.A. and that's probably the difference between you know not not that he dislikes. I'm not saying that LeBron hates Cleveland, but the light you know lifestyle in L.A. the big lights, all of that stuff. I think it just fits him better. So. I would be surprised if he's not a Laker. 
there, there's just a lot of chatter from other guys. You see, you know, Kevin Love saying, "Oh, you know, we'd love to have him back in Cleveland." Mobley looks absolutely amazing. LeBron loves yeah. Garland. Yeah, so it, it's, but if I'm Cleveland and I'm looking at these young players, Jared Allen, Mobley, uh, what what would that team be if Sexton didn't go down this year? Where would they be at in the Eastern Conference? Because they looked super good. Yeah, and, and they they play well all season, but I'm definitely not going to completely destroy my future to bring back. Uh, what's he? Is he going into year nineteen, year twenty next year? What what is it? I don't. I think it's year twenty year. next year. I think he's yeah, in year nineteen year now. But I yeah. I I also question what does ruining your future mean? Like, what would it take to bring LeBron to Cleveland and? If I'm Cleveland, aside from the personal grudges that you the ownership has against him, I think it's an absolute no-brainer if you could bring LeBron back, you can. I mean, still no one on Cleveland made All-NBA. LeBron's going to make All-NBA. I mean, he would be the best player there. He would lead them in deep into the playoffs. He would be a veteran leadership that shows them how to win. He would hand the keys over to Garland like he was going to do to Kyrie. But, I think but it would work. Will he? Will he? Will Will LeBron go to Cleveland and not completely disrupt that roster and say, "I want you to go and get this guy. True. You have to move this guy." And that's that's the thing. Maybe he's at the point in his career where he will do that. And if I'm Cleveland, that's kind of my stipulation. It's like, hey, if you want to come here, if this is an option, this is our roster composition right now. I'm not giving up future assets because I think that we have a good enough team. If we add you that we should be competitive, maybe even going and playing for a championship. And that's, you know, with what the Cavaliers have done this year, I think if you add LeBron to that roster without making any other moves that you could argue that they would be a championship caliber team. Agreed. I'm such a LeBron Stan. David, you don't know this. My dog is named LeBron. Uh, so I'm such a LeBron fan that you will never hear me saying, if you have a chance to get LeBron, don't take it. If you have a chance to get LeBron, you take it. He brings so much money to your economy, brings so much press to your city. I and mean, it's not even about the For winning. Sure. It's about just the impact that he could even have on the entire city and market. Uh, instant number one jersey sales. Uh, you probably get an all-star game in the near future or something like that. Let me give you my LeBron take because I don't think he goes back to Cleveland. I think LeBron stays in L.A. for two to three more years, depending on what happens with Bronny. And I think his number one goal becomes playing with his son, a la Ken Griffey Jr. or one of those situations, for two reasons. I've always maintained this take that you're comparing MJ's six to LeBron's four, right? total rings but the game is so much more global now you have Luka you have Jokic you have Embiid you have Giannis like the four best players in the league are not American so he's going against global competition that Mike was not so I always say imagine if Simone Biles only competed against the Americans imagine if Michael Phelps only swam against Americans how many more gold medals would they have and therefore, it's unfair to compare LeBron's four to MJ's six simply because the level of competition and the depth throughout the league is so great now compared to even 10 years ago that it's so much harder to win a title now even if you're just the number one player. You need two or three superstars to win in the league right now. Let me keep going. 
Here's what I think happens to LeBron. I think he stays in L.A. for two years. And did you hear him, David? Did you hear him recently, like, praising Sam Presti in All-Star Weekend? Yeah, I did. And we know OKC has 100 million picks over the next few years. Mm -hmm. And we know LeBron has also said playing with Bron is his number one goal. He's also said naming his son LeBron James Jr. is a mistake for the pressure. I think LeBron playing with his son in a place like L.A., in a place like New York, I even think in a place like going back home to Cleveland would not be the best thing for his son. And I think parenting is at the forefront of what LeBron cares about. So here's what I'm envisioning happening. And this is where SGA comes back around like I said he would. OKC is going to have 17 picks in that first round. They will figure out which one they need to use to select Bronny James. LeBron will be a free agent because he's been playing this, so his contract lines up with his son entering the league. LeBron will sign with OKC. Bronny James gets drafted to OKC, and they trade in the rest of the picks, and they go find the next disgruntled superstar in the league, and they bring him in as well. So we have SGA, Giddy, Dort, LeBron, and another guy. I went ahead and looked at the free agents that are going to be available that year. It's people like Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, Jalen Brown. Can you imagine one of those guys and that kind of five-man group running in OKC? That is what I predict happens, and I think OKC is the perfect place for Bronny to spend his first few years in the NBA to not be hounded by media he's going to be regardless, to not be given loads of expectation he's going to be regardless, but to minimize those impacts as much as you can, you go to Oklahoma City. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that's uh, it's a great pred- prediction. I think that that would be interesting. I don't know where Durant's contract is and where that would put him falling. Oh, but. my God. I can't believe you just went there. That would be so exciting. Like, if he went back my, to Oklahoma you know, and teamed up with them, so, too. Yeah, Le- LeBron. So, you, you would have SGA, Giddy, KD, LeBron, and then, you know, Bronny and whoever else. I don't think it really matters at that point. But I know that fans were salty whenever he left. I know that, you know, like the, the, the history, but that caliber of player coming back has a history of people forgetting, you know, it's like, okay, I, you know, I was mad. I'm over it at this point. He wants to come back. I, I feel like Kevin Durant at some point ends up going back to OKC. So wow. that would be interesting to see, uh, you know, LeBron and KD playing together in a small market like that. And what's you know OKC sells out games anyway. It would be impossible to get a ticket down there if that did happen. Either way, even without Durant, if it ends up going the the way that you said, that would be pretty incredible as well. You know, I like you, David, because I just threw you my most ridiculous, outlandish NBA take, and not only did you give it some credence, you threw an extra layer on it that I love. (laughs) (laughs) Piling it on, man. Piling on. Let's get it. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Let's definitely keep a close eye and we'll keep in touch as the Memphis Grizzlies move through the playoffs. I've said on this pod, I'm a little bit concerned about reintegrating Ja early in the season. But again, this guy's such a savant on the court, like we've discussed, that I think it'll be okay. Maybe they have a slow first half of game one. But if they're going against a team like the Timberwolves or Clippers, which you're confident in, it should be okay over the course of a seven game series. I too expect them to 
expect to see them in the second round or later in this year's playoffs. I do have a futures bet on them that I placed a long time ago, which I'm very happy about. But yeah, I think it's going to be a wild ride as a Memphis Grizzlies fan for the next four months as we go through the playoffs and then this offseason, which can then bring in another superstar and up the expectations or just keep everything level set. So it's definitely going to be a wild ride and we will stay in touch through it all. Yeah, look forward to it, man. Appreciate you having me on. It was a blast. Thanks, David. Thanks, David.